Warning, the episode you are about to listen to most likely contains graphic language, details of violence and murder, and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Hi, guys. Welcome to 2021. Welcome to Murder with My Mother, first of all. (laughs) And also 2021. That's so exciting that it's 2021. So different. Very, very futuristic. Yeah, six days in, we have like the Capitol Hills getting taken over by the biggest hillbillies in the world. Oh my god. Yeah, if anybody was expecting 2021 to magically turn into the year that saved 2020, well year be disappointed honestly no i think it's going to be like a funny year and there's going to be like there's going to be better stuff that happens but i mean trump was impeached again so who what kind of a president gets impeached twice him obviously a trumpy one yeah so yeah 2021 Woo! new year's was fun a lot going on there on my couch there wasn't a whole lot but i think i was sleeping by 10 30 p.m yeah so you just snored your way right into 2021 yep I think that's a good sign. Yeah, very relaxed. Huh. Well, thank you guys for coming back. We have our second part of Gary Ridgeway, the Green River Killer. We were j- really, mom. You didn't put your that's yours. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> I'm like, mom. We're recording. You didn't put your phone on silent. Why wouldn't you do that? I of course put my phone on silent. Uh, well, anyway, I didn't. Sorry, I'm an asshole. Uh, now it's on vibrate. So, okay. Anyways. Yeah. So we hope you guys had a really great new year and that you're having a super entertaining 2021 so far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're just trying to be hopeful. I don't know. Positive energy. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of good stuff that materializes this year. At least it's not going to be the whiplash shock of there's a pandemic and everything else. Hopefully nothing new and surprising arises because I feel like I just jinxed up. Knock on wood. Yeah. There's not even wood around. I'm looking. Again, we are back with the second episode of the infamous Green River Killer. And we were just getting into it being, the numbers are crazy. The numbers, even in the beginning part of his murder spree, is crazy. Yeah, I mean, by the time we left, it was mounting up pretty fast. Yeah, and so the number of missing and murdered women continued to grow at an alarming rate, and I mean, it didn't stop. (laughs) It never stopped. He wasn't caught till 2001. Yeah, so he had a long, long reign of terror. Yep, so here is how that long reign of terror thankfully ended. By this time, the number of missing and murdered women continued to grow at an alarming rate. Through most of the mid-80s, it was the state of Washington was in a constant fear because of the Green River Killer and all the women that were going missing. And there was, of course, the task force that had been organized to investigate, but they were just missing him every single time. Yeah, they couldn't catch a break. They couldn't get on his tail. They They couldn't find evidence. And the evidence they did collect, they couldn't do anything with it because of the time of, the, you know, when it was. It was in the, in the 80s. DNA wasn't a real thing. It was there, but they didn't know what they could do with it to catch anybody. Yeah, it was basically just blood typing and stuff like that. It wasn't like it is now. No, they would say, like, this killer has type O. And it's like, okay, how many, <laughs> even if it's the rare blood type, how many people have that? blood in an area you can't just go based on that obviously you need you know now now we're in the days where you even have familial 
DNA. Where yeah. It's like if your fifth cousin does ancestry DNA and you murdered somebody 40 years ago and they run the DNA and they're like, wow, this person's fifth cousin, it hit on that yeah. genetic screening that they're related by that or, you know, just as an example. It's pretty crazy these days compared to then. And they basically had to catch people pretty much red-handed or with a witness account or mm -hmm. else it was mostly circumstantial evidence that they had. Well, and even a lot of witness accounts back then are turn out not to even be true. True, right? So although Gary had been interviewed in 1983 and he even passed that polygraph in 1984, he came again kind of onto the radar because he was the last person seen with two of the people that were missing, two of the victims that were found murdered. So he was the last person to have been seen. So obviously, like... But they also knew that he was quite a customer of the sex workers down yeah. in, on the highway. So that was also circumstantial. Even though they had a little niggle about what he was doing, they couldn't prove it. A little what? Niggle. <laughs> I have never heard that. What is that word? It's an 80s word. Are you just sticking with the or damn, you know, the co-host has got to be on, like, I don't know what. Okay, anyway, so. <laughs> there you go, millennials. All right, well, we going to learn today. <laughs> but uh, this time, they, in 1987, they, they were a little more suspicious of him because, again, he had been seen with two of the last, two of the victims found. He was the last person. He frequented sex workers. He was kind of a weird guy. His truck was uh, the last one seen, remember, with the girl mm -hmm. that was struggling. Becky Marrero, yeah. And when did they look in his house? So what happened was first, they, they kind of on their own, they looked and they looked at his credit card statement. They looked at where he worked in distance to where he lived and then kind of, you know, calculated how much regular mileage he would be accumulating. And they said it was like, so much more than they than logically it would be like he was driving around obviously a lot a lot, lot right so in 1987 the same so in April 8th 1987 is when they um, searched the home and vehicle of him oh so they really really suspected him yeah oh yeah he was people at his work called him Green River Gary for years oh, because it was almost like a joke because he had been questioned early in the 80s and people were aware that he had been questioned so they started calling him Green River Gary like so like ah, Gary like, Smith no Green River you Gary. know Green River Gary but it really was Green oh River Gary God. but Imagine. you know like if someone's like creepy and you make that kind of joke about them but it really ends up to be true and you just worked on the paint line with this man as really Green River Gary I can't even imagine like that must have been so trippy after he was arrested well another thing that came out to do with his workplace was he would actually because he would take victims jewelry and that's another thing that came out is they when they would try to look um, they would try to they would canvas the areas that they found the clusters of bodies in yeah and they started to, you know, they would try to look for all the belongings of these victims or anything to piece it together. So they always, like, the the women that were murdered, they, some of their family or friends or, you know, other people that had known them would say, oh, she always had this ring on, she always had this bracelet, she always had, you know, or yeah, whatever. An identifying factor. Exactly. But they never would find any of that stuff. Even if someone just went missing and they're like, no, she had this pendant on butterfly necklace whatever yeah they could never find any jewelry so 
It came out later that he was leaving the jewelry in places at work so that he, people would find it. And I guess he worked with a bunch of people, Ken Worth. He would work with a bunch of people that were dishonest and steal things that they just found. But they would put them on. So girls around the workplace would be wearing these rings. And he would get like oh. a rush because obviously they don't know who the, whose ring that is or whose belonging that is but he did and again like we always talk about with their weird trophy stuff yeah. that's like such a creepy 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 way to get turned on oh. like oh that chick's wearing that ring she doesn't know about the prostitute that i murdered and have sex with a dead body later well, he would it came out later too because his neighbors were like he would always have garage sales and he would always have women's jewelry for sale and women's shoes and women's clothes oh my gosh yeah reminds me of my ex-husband <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty creepy though so. <laughs> so what happened after this was because they were onto him and he knew obviously they just searched his house but he's got to be a little cocky because, like I said, he, they searched his house in 80, or they, they questioned him in 83, let him go. Questioned him in 84, let him go. 87, searched his house, searched his car, let him go. Isn't that so weird? Like, can you, if I were the one that was being questioned that many times, I would be so nervous and such a wreck. And I bet you a million bucks he was just calm and dopey. You know? Yeah, because he, he had horseshoes up his ass because they never found anything that they could use. Well, and if you think about it, I think it's that urge because I wouldn't, if I knew I was under such a microscope or that even if they had any inkling that it was me, I wouldn't be doing it. I would, I would wait until it wasn't like as suspicious because obviously if they're watching you or you think they're onto you, you should probably stop. But the urge he had, it was, I guess, so strong that he just continued to murder dozens and dozens of women through the years yeah and especially at that time when they had the task force set up and they were looking at him so well he was only one of like 46 people that they like suspects that they had <laughs> so there must be a lot of creepy people living in the northern state of like of northern washington because that's a lot of people to have on a list i think there's actually a lot of creepy people living everywhere that we don't know about that is true yeah and so because of this Gary, I mean, this is smart. Uh, he started to change his MO because before it would be these, you know, nude bodies were found in clusters out in the open. And what he started doing was going into places where he didn't think anyone would go. So started, the bodies were not being found anymore. They, because he was burying them now, which must've been hard because like we said, he's a necrophiliac. Yeah, so that's so, that part of the pleasure away for him. Unless which must've been hard if he, if that is something that he, he would like, yeah, we'll get back to that. Cause that's just a whole other can of worms literally like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. So Gary even started disposing of the bodies in places that had a lot of garbage already or areas that were kind of overthrown with a lot of stuff to kind of throw investigators off because they wouldn't know what to collect and what not to collect. Yeah, by 1988, more than 50 women had vanished. Holy smokes. Yeah, and again, like I said, he changed his MO, went further into the woods, kind of to avoid being found, and so that he could revisit them, but he would know that they were there, and it would be a place where not a lot of people would, like, there wouldn't be, like, high traffic areas. Yeah, because a lot of the people previously, I mean, in the shows I've seen, 
he actually would just leave girls like in empty lots by the airport and yeah. stuff like that. Like those women were barely hidden in the beginning. No, and that one I was watching when we were doing the research for this and one of those girls was eight months pregnant. Yeah. That was left behind the airport. And it's like, again, a corpse behind the airport and it's a high traffic. Like people are, it's, it's a very popular populated city. Yeah. But it just happened. He would find the little pockets mm -hmm. where there was empty lots and lots of garbage and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yep. No lights. So again, although, because although detectives had their eye on Ridgeway, there was nothing they could do because everything they had against him was, they had no efficient evidence against him. They only had circumstantial evidence, which they probably had for multiple people because, you know, I'm sure most people fit that as well. Constantly picking up prostitutes, having records, having all the things that they kind of were told to look out for. Other people obviously had that as well. So he wasn't as high on the suspect list as I would have liked him to be, but I don't know. So after 1998, then how many more people? Well, okay. So 1988, remember we talked about in the last episode, he married and he met and married Judith. So he, Judith now moved in and he was committing most of his murders in his home before, which is why there was no carpet. Yes, remember? Yes, so, yeah. so he married Judith and that's when he got smarter about it. I think my personal opinion is that's he it was one extra reason for him not to get caught now that he had a you know a wife that he loved because he was he was very it was almost like spitefully killing these prostitutes because he had such a bad first breakup like divorce well both of second. yeah both of his uh previous divorces were so hurtful to him and his third marriage was actually they both say it was like a match made in heaven like they were in love with each other they got along super well they didn't fight yeah so she said the only thing that happened that was kind of even a little bit weird was that he would say he was going to be late coming yeah. home a couple times and not even all the time yeah, so the police weren't finding as many bodies through the years. Yeah. So what happened was, I mean, bodies were still turning up, but the task force, because that's a lot of money to put into something that nothing's being, nothing's happening. Yeah. Right? They're putting all this money into the funding and they're exhausting their efforts and nothing's coming from it. So that must have been super frustrating. And I think they said like between uh, 1988 and 2001, there were only like 11 victims yeah. compared to how many there were in the years previous well, to that. Well, 82 and through 84, there was alone was what, 40? 40. Yeah. yeah. So you can see that clear pattern of now. I mean, to me, that's that screams I'm, I'm happier. Obviously, he has this sickness where he has to do this. They say that serial killers that just stop. Because for a while they thought he had just stopped. Mm -hmm. Or died. Yeah. They thought that he had either died or moved to another mm -hmm. area or something like that. Yeah. And you, they actually thought for sure he was dead. Because yeah. there's like, there's no way this guy's going to murder 40 women in like less than two years. And then just be like, anyway. You know, like wipe your hands of them. <laughs> yeah. So in 2001, because what had happened from 1988 to 2001 is it pretty much became a cold case. Obviously, it kind of lived in the shadow of Seattle and, and Northern Washington because, okay, someone just came and killed like 50 people and then was like- And was never caught. Disappeared. Yeah. So are they here? Are they somewhere else doing this to other women? Are they just hiding? Are they in jail? Are they, you know, it's yeah. all these things. But 
by 1992, the task force dwindled, right? Because that's 10 years of, well, he started in 82 and it's 92 and they have no idea. And now for the last couple of years, they haven't, they've cut, it's like, like we said, since he got married in 88 to 92, there's nothing there's going nothing. on. Yeah. There's definitely not a reason to hold that many officers investigating something that's not even occurring. No. So it went from having like 30 officers, 50 officers at one time yeah. to now just having one officer. So Tom Jensen, Detective Tom Jensen was the only detective on the Green River Task Force by 1992. Yeah. It, I mean, that all that is so mind bending because although we think we know the usual patterns of someone that commits serial murder... I mean, obviously, they can all kind of change it up a little bit, right? Yeah. So in 2001, cold case unit went in and kind of reinvestigated this. Now they knew that they had advances in DNA technology so they could test the DNA that they had. So what had happened with all the victims is there were stones found in almost all of their vaginas. And what this had done, which, okay, yeah, you're a sick fuck and you're just putting stones in a woman's vagina, but joke's on you because it's actually holding onto your DNA. Yeah, so it's acting like a plug. Right? Yeah, so his semen would be inside of the bodies that he just murdered and raped. And then, again, to humiliate them or whatever, he would put a stone inside. And obviously the officers, when, you know, this was happening over 20 years, that would kind of be their linking... That's so creepy. It is. It would be their linking kind of factor, right? And the one we discussed last time was almost to just throw them off. The one with the fish and the the wine and all that was, that was also not even a, someone that was a sex worker. That was someone that worked at a restaurant. And so he obviously saw her and wanted to kind of throw them off his trail. So he tried to switch up his MO, but because of the first four victims did have the stone in there and it kind of held on to the DNA, that's what they were able to take and keep and put in a refrigerator. And in 2001, they still had that stuff in there. How forward thinking of them though. I mean, I guess we all kind of, especially the investigators are taught what's about to come out in the future. Mm-hmm. However, it must have seemed like pretty far away. And then imagine at the point that you're ready to plug that DNA profile into a computer and wait to see what's going to come up. Yep. So what they did was the Washington State Patrol Crime Lab tested the DNA found on Marsha Chapman. And this was 19 years later. So it's been sitting in there for 19 years. And they also tested the DNA evidence found on Carol Christensen. So both of these, they had spermatozoa, which is semen inside of them. And they were able to keep this and test this and they ran it. And they also had those buccal swabs, remember, because when Gary was questioned in 1984, he gave a buccal swab. Yeah. Remember, they they took hair and stuff from him. And they just put it on the shelf, just like they... I know. Yeah. But good thing they did, because they tested it. And surprise to nobody, I think, on the task force. I think they were all pretty... Even the people at work, Green River Gary, like... Yeah, right? like spot on I mean you don't even think that you're that spot on I don't think it's like it had to be a little surprising just to know that you knew the whole time and couldn't do anything about it yeah and think about he hid from them so well and like covered his tracks really well all for a man with a really low very low IQ super low 
It's like just like a bumbling doom to doom. And another thing too was yes, DNA linked him, but another thing like we mentioned is he was a truck painter. So you have to think he's in there all day for 30 years, spraying the trucks, spraying the trucks. What happens? You get transfer, contact transfer. That's getting on your clothes. Yeah. That's getting in your car. That's getting on your shoes. That's getting everywhere. So samples of microscopic particles of paint that had been on almost all the bodies were also kept in evidence. And so when, and they didn't really even know what they were. No, they, they had no idea. They were something that was on each body that mm-hmm. was a similar thing, but they didn't know exactly what it was. And that's why they kept it. Good thing, because good mm-hmm. eyes on those cases. You have to think the people that are there collecting evidence. Seattle's or these towns are not that big. So think about how many people there are working, working, collecting evidence. It's probably the same person that's, you know, going through all these sites and is like, what is this weird spray? That's the part, like, that gets my heart beating fast because I think about how it must have been to go to each deceased body and look and see, like, okay, this is the same, like, how creepy mm-hmm. it was. Oh, there's see, a stone like, in their vagina. There's a stone in their vagina. There's a paint. There's this weird stuff on them. Like, this is the same sick fucker that's doing all of it. And to know that would be, like, I, I would lose sleep at night. Obviously, they must have. Well, in the videos and the interviews with the detectives and the people, the forensics, all, everyone involved, you can see it was... It did take a toll on them because it was 20 years yeah. and this 20 person, years of a nightmare. And this person's pretty much taunting you because they're getting away, even if they're not doing it on purpose at this point, they're getting away with this for so long and getting even more like complacent. The, yeah. And imagine like after there hadn't been a body found for a long time and they thought he was dead or whatever. And then imagine the first one they found mm-hmm. with the stone and the paint. And oh all my God. They probably, their PTSD. Probably oh my goodness. It. So with all this new evidence, they again, who their man was exactly the task force could now move forward and apprehend the most prolific serial killer at that time and ever to now in yeah. North America, at least there's some crazy people outside of North America too. So but they now had evidence that tied him at least to the four first victims. So they went to his house after he got off his shift at Kenworth and they arrested his ass. I think they actually arrested him at work. They didn't. Oh, no. They arrested him at his house because right, all his neighbors saw. Oh. Yeah. Yep. So Gary denied having anything to do with anything. He didn't know any of these people. He, he said, I did pick up sex workers and I did frequent sex workers, but I don't know about any of this other stuff. And he told his wife, like he had his wife completely fooled. She his whole go, family, yeah. his brothers and their wives, it would bring their kids to the jail and like they would all go visit like family. And like free Gary, free Gary, <laughs> like these wrongly convicted, you know, mm. this man could never do something like that. And he played along with it very, very, very convincingly. Mm. Free Gary is not one that I think was after all this stuff came out i mean that's the thing he he denied and he protested his innocence while his family stuck stuck by him and visited him and he you know proclaimed that he was innocent but as the evidence started to roll in and there was a lot of it there was a lot because again they had saved and cataloged all this evidence so they had only tied him to four right now but four people Four murders, that's capital murder, right? So his lawyer said to him, look, 
You can sit here and say that you're innocent, but they have your semen inside two or four dead bodies. Dead bodies. And your paint from your truck, like from your job, annoying to him. You know, he didn't know he was doing that transfer. Like that's yeah. probably something he was so mad about after when he realized. Because he was very careful. There's, They said, because remember they searched his house and they didn't find anything. So he was really careful. And that's how he didn't get caught for so long because he was careful. So, you know. It's crazy that someone that had such a low IQ could be so cagey. Yeah. So he took, <laughs> KG, like that. <laughs> he took his guidance of his legal counsel and admitted, like he, he agreed to a plea bargain. That took the death penalty off yeah. the table. And he said, look, if I tell you everything about every one of the women that I killed, all the ones I can remember, then because, because I killed so many that I have a hard time keeping them straight. So if I give you the details on all of them, Will you take the death penalty off the table? And they were like, yes. You know, I don't understand that so much. Like, I guess most people are very, very, very afraid of the death penalty. But mm -hmm. if I knew I was going to be in jail for that long, I would just rather have the death penalty. And I'm sorry, but if you look at a death penalty case, you have like yeah. two appeals at least. And most of them are in jail for at least 20 years past, usually more than that. Well, and also nowadays, the death penalty has been abolished in so many states yeah. that their sentences are commuted over to life anyway. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's good that he made that deal because then people could get some information on what happened to their loved ones. Well, or where they were, because yeah. a lot of them, he changed his MO. They weren't being as easily recovered now because he wanted to keep them to himself so he was burying them and not no one was ever finding them now it was just missing women people could obviously go from okay we're finding all these dead bodies to oh, okay now they're not we're not finding any dead bodies but all these women are still missing yeah. right i mean it was clear what was going on yeah so although he put up a bit of a fight in the beginning he would eventually show investigators where he dumped the bodies and where he eventually started to bury them to avoid being found. But he did put up a bit of a fight in the beginning, like kind of like, no, I don't want it. Like, like a brat. And they were like, look, we'll take your plea bargain away, your plea deal, if you don't stop it. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and kind of gave in. They so, talked to him like Mary, his mother. Yeah, geez. <laughs> But, you know, who I feel the worst for um, besides the families of the victims and obviously the victims because what a terrible way to pass from your life. But poor Judith. Yeah. Judith really, really remained loyal to him and believed that he was being falsely accused. And she loved him. She thought they had the perfect marriage. And she said that on TV. Yeah, she remained right by his side. and But as after he pled guilty to not just like one or two or three it was he pled guilty to 48 counts and she said when she listened to that she was in court and she listened to him plead guilty to each one of them and she said that was the most devastating moment that's where she knew for sure because it's like it literally he's like guilty it's like in the bet in the murder of you know this victim and he's like guilty it literally is like if I said, did you have mustard on your hot dog? Guilty. guilty. You know, it was literally like that. There was no, <laughs> there was no, I am guilty of that. 
but there is no it's where the psychopathy emotion there's right. nothing it's like he's it's like you're talking to him about what he ate for dinner when he's discussing later because like we said he made a plea bargain where he would divulge information and boy did he spill the beans oh my goodness so he started to talk about like we said saying the things about how he would kill the victims, about when he started, about why he did it. He would have, they have so many hours of footage of him with a psychiatrist trying to get to the bottom of why he did this, um, things he was feeling. He told them that he would always make the victims strip completely naked and usually it was at his house or in his truck. Yeah. And he would make them strip completely naked. He would have a sheet down on his bed and he would violently rape them from the back, which they, I mean, obviously they're being paid to have sex, but it, they must have been afraid, you know, like you're that vibe. He's creepy. But another thing he would do, and he admitted is he would, he had pictures of his son all around his house yeah. or in his wallet. Or once he even picked up someone with his son in the car and his, and then took her into the bushes. And then she never came out. And his son was like, where's that girl dad like what happened and and he was like oh she lives close to her she just walked home like poor the poor kid imagine and now he's a man like imagine what he's left with even like oh yeah look at the amount of lives that were destroyed in the wake of the green river killer gary ridgeway yeah well you see too because he he says like we said when they searched his house they didn't find anything but because he put that sheet down and he was very meticulous so after he violently raped them from the back they would, uh, I mean, assume that that's what, that's it, he's finished. But then he would reach up from a, a back around them and put them in a chokehold and choke them until they lost consciousness and died. Yeah, he killed the majority of the, the women that he murdered with his arm, with his forearm. Yeah. He did, in some circumstances, use a ligature. Yeah. Like their pantyhose or a belt or whatever, but mostly it was his own arm. Yep. So on November 5th, 2003, Gary pled guilty to the murders of 48 women in that plea deal and which took the death penalty off the table. So, yep. They still have to go through a whole trial. No, he actually, that was part of the plea, the plea deal. He, it was a plea deal. So he didn't have a, he didn't get a trial and he didn't die. That was his deal. So I guess the families ended up getting answers somewhat because they're, victims bodies were found and then he could recount a lot of the details but he couldn't really say which one was which Mm -hmm. he said there was so many that he didn't remember the details of each one he just remembered where they were buried and sometimes not even he had a hard time keeping them all straight he didn't ever pay attention to things about his victims he said when he was being interviewed that they were just pieces of garbage to him and he didn't care he didn't think about it like who they were or anything like that. And so the vic- the victims' families obviously did get some answers, but you can think about how angry these people are and how, you know, there's so many emotions. And sitting there in the courtroom listening to him just be like, guilty, guilty, guilty. Like, he's literally just like, it's no big deal. You know, he's guilty 48 times. There, The judge reads each name, and he's just like, guilty, guilty. And there were more than that. Oh, yeah. That yeah, it's yeah. suspected that there were almost double that amount of women. Well, he said that. Yeah. He said, honestly, these are the ones I can find, and but there's more, and I can't I really remember. I think he remember. said that there's around 
90. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I know. So it just gets worse and worse. And because those are the ones only that they could find. So those are the ones that were linked to him. So he sat in court, like we said, and he put, he said 48 times guilty. So on December 18th, 2003, he was sentenced to life in jail without a chance of parole. Thank God. Yeah. But the family's got a chance to speak and kind of give their victim impact statements. And the whole time, like, people were ripping him new ones, like, telling him he's going to go to hell. and We hate you. We hate you. You ruined our lives. Which, yeah. Yeah. I get that, right? And especially because he caused so much. Like, that's a lot of people to kill. Yeah. That's a lot of people affected. And a lot of these women were mothers, daughters. Mass murder. Yeah. Over 20 years. Yeah. And so he didn't even bat an eye at any of these people, like, literally sitting there and, like, you know, giving it to him. And then one man stood up, and he was one of the victim's fathers, and he said, you know, this big long speech of, like, you know, it says that we're not supposed to hate anybody and we're supposed to forgive them, so I do forgive you. And Gary Ridgway started bawling his eyes out. Oh. Yeah. So he started crying, and then... Afterwards, he got to address the families, and he said, I'm sorry for killing these ladies. They had their whole lives ahead of them. I'm sorry for causing so much pain to so many families. Huh. So, I mean, I don't know if that was overly heartfelt, because obviously, it's like, okay, again, we are back to this. Are you sorry because you're really sorry, or are you sorry because you got caught? I think personally that he was probably triggered that man that said he was forgiven spoke of the bible and Mm -hmm. of god and all of that and as we know gary was at some points in his life fanatical about religion so i think that could have stirred a little something if there was something to be stirred in him it was often sometimes stirred with religion which is like a set of rules i guess that he chose not to abide by generally yeah well and remember we said he he did start to come into religion and he got weird and like, yeah, he gives sermons, sermons and cry. Sermons. Sermons. Yeah, he would. That's a French word. For oh, God. We know how you are with your French, so I'll take your word for it. Boulet. After his conviction, uh, Gary Ridgway lived in virtual isolation at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. And a lot of the privileges that were common to many of the prisoners there were denied to him just simply because they wanted to keep other prisoners from murdering him. Keep him safe. He deserves it. Yep. That's what they do with the high profile ones. Yeah. Like you, you said that they should just let, they should let, yeah. Like they should let natural progression occur in jail. Yeah. Natural selection. You decided to be a criminal. So come hang with the big boys and like, let's see what's going to happen to you. Definitely. Not that other criminals are big boys, but you know, like. You know, you can strangle all these women, but you can't. You're scared to be alone with, you know. Can't go to the lunchroom. Exactly. On December 21st, 2010, Becky Marrero's remains were found in an Auburn ravine. The site is roughly three miles from the Mountain View Cemetery where Ridgway disposed a lot of his victims. Oh, really? Yes. So February 7th, Ridgway is charged with aggravated murder in connection to Marrero's slaying. So that, which he pled guilty to. So that was 49 counts. The one thing that I will say about Gary is that he, I mean, there was no reason that he had to plead guilty for that after the fact. He was already sentenced to the other stuff and he knew he wasn't going to get the death penalty. So 
I'm actually really happy that he did plead guilty and gave people some answers finally. Yeah, and he was one of the most prolific serial killers. And not to say, because people like Ted Bundy and people like the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, they have, the way that they killed their victims is so brutal and horrible. So people assume, you know, but it's like, this man took out almost a hundred women and yeah. he did it while he just working at the Kenworth paint shop and married three women and, and Heidi. Yeah. La la la. Like just painting a truck and yeah. Killing, killing some, prostitutes. some prostitutes. Yeah. Like, and it just was able to go along with his life and very strange. In May of 2015, Ridgeway was transferred to a maximum security federal pr uh, prison in Florence, Colorado where they thought that because he wasn't from Colorado and this case didn't happen in Colorado, that he would be less recognizable to the inmates and in turn feel safer and have more freedoms. And, you know, he could kind of move along, like move with the general population. <laughs> That's so fucked up that they're even considering that. Like, yeah. So because, and uh, Dave Reichert, who was the, the, now he's the sheriff, but he was the head lead detective on the Green River task force for like how many years? Yeah. He pretty much said the same thing as you. Like, because it cost $20,000 for a private plane used to transfer him to yeah, this Yeah, like, he should have just been left to rot in a cell, even if it was by himself. Yeah. Who gives a shit if you... he fits in better with the general population of the prison? Well, and you murdered almost 100 people. Like, you, yeah. you've been hanging out. Like, it's time to be by yourself now, because clearly when you hang out with people, look what you happens. You them. Yeah. So, because of the public outcry, his new privilege and relatively easier confinement he was moved back to walla walla in oh, october good Thank of 2016 God. so he had a good nice ride for like a, a year where he was out and these people have been in prison they're not going to really know who he is and they're in colorado and you don't really pay attention i mean i people like us would pay attention and be like word oh, travels though eventually like you know yeah they have tv and stuff exactly and so Facebook. yeah well they do when they have dating profiles i know and stuff. yeah Although Gary was charged with only 49 murders, the there is speculation that he is responsible for near 90. Oh, sickening. Oh, that, that was a good word. That was quick on the fly. Sickening. Yeah. That, that is sickening. So that's a new murder with my mother word, I guess. Sickening. Yeah. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to take the time and read out all of the victims that we do know Gary Ridgway was responsible for taking their lives. I'd like to give, well, we'd like to give a bit more information just because so much of the information is generally given to the person that perpetrates the crimes, but the people that were taken from us are really the most important ones in the story. And we would love to keep their memory alive, and we are glad that he got justice finally, and we are glad that these victims somewhat had justice and were able to be returned back to their families. Wendy Lee Caulfield was 16 years old and her body was found July 15, 1982. Giselle Ann LeBourne was 17 and her body was found September the 25th, 1982. Deborah Lynn Bonner was 23 and her body was found on August 12, 1982. Marcia Faye Chapman, 31. Her body was found August 15, 1982. Cynthia Jean Hines, who was 17, was found August 15th, 1982. Opal Charmaine Mills, 16 years old, found August 15th, 1982. 
Terry Renee Milligan, 16, body found April 1st, 1984. Mary Bridget Meehan, 18, found November 13th, 1983. 15-year-old Deborah Lorraine Estes was found May 30th, 1988. Linda Jane Rule, 16, her body was found January 31st, 1983. Denise Darcel Bush, 23 years old, and her body was found June 12th, 1985. Shonda Leah Summers, 16 years old, found August 11th, 1983. Shirley Marie Cheryl, 18, her body was found June 14th, 1985. Rebecca Becky Marrero, 20 years old, her body was found December 21st, 2010. Colleen Renee Brockman, who was 15 years old. Her body was found May 26, 1984. Sandra Denise Major, 20 years old, found on December 30, 1985. Alma Ann Smith, 18 years old, was found April 2, 1984. Dolores Laverne Williams, 17, found March 31, 1984. Gail Lynn Matthews, 23. Her body was found September 18, 1983. Andrea M. Childers, 19. Her body was found October 11, 1989. Sandra K. Gabbert, 17 years old, was found April 1st, 1984. Kimmy Kai Pitzer, 16 years old. Her body was found December the 15th, 1983. Marie Malvar, 18 years old, her body was found on September 26, 2003. Carol Ann Christensen, 21 years old. Her body was found May the 8th, 1983. Martina Teresa Authorly, 18 years old. Her body was found November 14, 1984. Cheryl Lee Wims, 18 years old. Her body was found March 22, 1984. Yvonne Shelley Antosh, 19 years old. Her body was found October 15, 1983. Carrie Ann Royce, 15. Her body was found March the 10th, 1985. Constance Elizabeth Noun, 19 years old. Her body was found October 27, 1983. Kelly Marie Ware, 22 years old. Her body was found October the 29th, 1983. Tina Marie Thompson, 21 years old. Her body was found April 20th, 1984. April Dawn Butram, 16, found August 30th, 2003. Debbie May Abernathy, 26 years old. Her body was found March 31st, 1984. Tracy Ann Winston, 19 years old. Her body was found March 27th, 1986. Maureen Sue Feeney, 19 years old. Her body was found May 2nd, 1986. Mary Sue Bello, 25 years old. Her body was found October the 12th, 1984. Pammy Annette Event, 15 years old. Her body was found August 16th, 2003. Delise Louise Plager, 22. Her body was found February the 14th, 1984. Kimberly L. Nelson, 21. 
Her body was found June 14, 1986. Lisa Yates, 19 years old, found deceased March 13, 1984. Mary Exeta West, 16 years old, her body was found September 8, 1985. Cindy Ann Smith, 17 years old, found June 27, 1987. Patricia Michelle Barzak, 19 years old, was found February 3, 1993. Roberta Joseph Hayes, 21 years old, her body was found September 11, 1991. Marta Reeves, 36 years old, her body was found September 20, 1990. Patricia Robe. 38. Her body was found August 6, 1998. Ident unidentified white female Jane Doe B10. Her body was found on March 21, 1984. Unidentified white female Jane Doe B17, who would have been 14 to 18 years old. Her body was found January 2, 1986. Unidentified female Jane Doe B20, who was between the ages of 13 to 24, was found on August 21st, 2003. Now, we did just name off 49 names, which took us a while, but honestly, it kind of hit me after I read that. It's like, that just took a while. You guys are listening, so you probably just listened to that for a while, but imagine that is a lot of people. And there are 14 bodies that were not able to be genetically linked to Ridgeway and that he never admitted to, but those are also his suspected victims. And you know, what strikes me about a lot of them is how young they are. Yeah, they're all between the ages. Most of them, it's like 14 to 18. Yeah. The first, you could tell at the end, towards the end of his killing, he almost kind of, he probably preferred younger, but he didn't care really towards yeah. the end. Well, he had to get home before Judy got mad that he wasn't home for dinner. Yeah. As we come to the end of this episode, we wanted to take a second, you know, obviously we just read all those names off and, you know, that kind of changed the mood. We kind of, we bring you true crime cases and, you know, we can kind of like banter jokingly through them just because that's, that's how we are, you know, not everybody's like that, but that one, I mean, just the, uh, you know, the sheer number, yeah, I mean, and again, like I said, he, he was someone, it's someone that you really wouldn't even expect. Just like a regular, old, slow dad cruising around through a normal job and a normal life with a normal family. And he was one of the most prolific serial killers ever known to man. And I really, really sincerely hope that we don't ever see a serial killer in the future that kills as many people as Gary Ridgway did. No, hopefully we are now open to working through our childhood traumas and not projecting them onto people where you're taking the shit you went through and causing other people like pain and death and projecting all of your pain and trauma onto other people. So, and if that doesn't do it, the new age therapy, just remember your second cousin could go do an ancestry DNA kit and you'll be caught. So, so don't rape or murder anybody. Exactly. Because it's 2021, bitches, and you gonna get caught. Very quickly. Not in 20 years. No, because it's 2021. So they gonna keep that DNA. 
All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to part two of The Green River Killer. We will have another case for you. It is going to be episode 12 already. Mom, what you got in store for us? It's a surprise. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because I haven't figured it out yet. But it will be a good one, I promise. And I will do some diligent research in the coming days and I will get back to you guys and break the suspense in two more weeks. Woohoo! Speaking of suspense, I don't know if any of you true crime fanatics have heard that the Night Stalker is on Netflix now. They have a Night Stalker documentary. And it's coming out today. Today. Well, well it came out two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, actually, we're recording on a Wednesday today, which is Oh, wait, it came out yesterday. Yeah. Well, Tanika's got a lot of editing to do in one day this week. <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys, I mean, to kill time in between, you know, you could watch the Night Stalker documentary. Night Stalker doc. Imagine that's what case you choose. <gasps> oh, <laughs> and it's word for word, word exactly for the documentary because <laughs> I'm just sitting there recording it as I watch it. No, oh, well, that's okay. So, join us in two more weeks for another episode of Murder with My Mother, where my daughter talks murder with her mother. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Okay. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Have a good one. But not too good. <laughs> <laughs>